Anybody happy to be here this morning? I want to uh, let everybody know that uh, for those of y'all that missed the memo, on Wednesday nights, the first three Wednesday nights of every month, we have Wednesday Word. Can everybody say that? Wednesday Word? First three uh, Wednesdays of every month. Okay. So that means we have a Wednesday coming up to start this month, do we not? So at 7 o'clock from 7 to 8, exactly, we have Wednesday Word. We don't pray. We don't, uh, you know, worship. We come and we teach the Word of God and then for one hour and that's it. I'm very excited because we're taking the steps and I, I just want to um, let you all know that this month, my mother-in-law, Ina Rose Cove, will be bringing the word. I am so thrilled. Pastor CJ was talking about having a gift unveiled in this body. And, you know, I just, I cannot tell you how much Ina Rose Cove has meant to me. She's in the back with crew, I believe, so I can't have her stand up. She'd be quite embarrassed and upset with me to do that anyway. But uh, I am a product of she and Charlie Coe's ministry. A lot of what you see from anything good as it pertains to teaching, as it pertains to word, as it pertains to moving in the spirit, is because of their ministry. So guess what? You're going to get a chance to reap from that ministry, from that anointing. And we're going to move in. And there she is right there. I'll embarrass her. Ina Rose. <laughs> So everyone, please come on Wednesday night from 7 to 8, first three Wednesdays of this month. And she's going to be bringing the word. And we're going to be talking about a subject that I'm very excited about. It's called worship. Hallelujah. Uh, we have been building a foundation talking about aspects of David's tabernacle. And it was just kind of like when I was speaking with her about the potential for her to uh, teach. Um, it just kind of, you know, it was like... You know, what is it you're going to go to? What is the unit you're going to teach on and so on and so forth? And it was almost kind of like, duh, you've laid a wonderful foundation to talk about worship when you talk about David's tabernacle. Because that's what David's tabernacle was all about. We're going to learn a little bit about that today. Uh, we've talked about that in five Wednesday nights over the previous couple of months. And so I would invite you all to go and access that via the web. There are MP3s as well as iPod or iPod. What do they call them? Podcast. For people that have the Apple iDevices, you've been sucked into the Apple Collective. Anyway, I have. I've got two of them right here. Anyway, uh, go and access those. And I also have notes for those of you all that would want those. Please let me know, and I'll bring them to you and give them to them. Nothing proprietary here. It's the Word of God. Hallelujah. And so please come this Wednesday night, and we'll kick off three Wednesdays, first three Wednesdays of every month, and Ida Rose Co. is going to be bringing the teaching on worship. Hallelujah. All right, would you just pray with me for a minute? Father, we're grateful for an opportunity, as always, to come together as your body. Above all things, Father, we wish that you would be pleased. Just like Jesus said. Father, be pleased, and... And just receive, Father God, our commitment and what we're doing, Father God, such as it is as a sacrifice unto you, Lord. We desire to know more about you. We desire to be submitted to you and to humble, Father God. 
ourselves under your mighty hand to wait upon your presence. Thank you for Jesus, as always. Jesus, your Lord, your King, you're the Word who, who became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you for breaking yourself and dispersing yourself, Father, and continuing to do that, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you're the teacher, that you'll bring revelation. Right now, eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, your precious word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Everybody say this with me. I am spirit. I'm made in the image of my Father. I am spirit first. I have a soul. And I dwell in a body. Praise God. Hallelujah. You're spirit first. Amen. You know, that's something that, that you'll see characterized by my particular uh, ministry and, and focus a lot of times. And you can ask Kalen and others that have been around me for a long time. And you're going to hear a continual theme, and it's about the spirit. And it's about learning about who you are, spirit first, and that you have a soul and you live in a body. And here's the deal. You're made in the image of your father. And Jesus said that they that worship him must worship him in. That's right. Why? Because right before that, he said, the Father is spirit. Right. That's how we relate to the Father. That's how we hear his voice. That's how we understand his word is by the spirit bringing illumination through our spirit to our souls. Amen. Praise God. So we're going to move into talking about and finishing up a little bit. I don't have a whole lot of time. We're going to finish up talking about some of the aspects of David's tabernacle. And I believe today you're going to hear some things you've never heard before. Amen. I'm going to believe, I'm I'm believing God for, for revelation. I'm believing God for rhema words, for specific understanding being spoken unto your spirit to bring illumination to your soul. That will be something that will save your soul. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so last week we talked about the fact that the ark, which represents the presence of the living God among the people, had been lost. And it went on a journey and actually was captured by the enemy. And uh, it went on this journey and it went through the Philistine land to about five different places. And then suffice it to say, you know, it ends up uh, journeying up. They send it away because the people ended up in judgment over it. They tried to control and manipulate the power of God and subject it unto their idols and unto their the things that they worshipped and esteemed. They didn't understand who Jehovah God was. All they knew is, is that they had seen the evidence of his power on behalf of the children of Israel, and they wanted a part of that. But they didn't know who, the God, who God was. They weren't covenant people. And then probably of greatest importance, the covenant people lost the presence of God because of disobedience, because of lack of understanding, because the word of God was rare and prophetic words were, were, were unheard of in that day. Why? Because the elders and the people did not teach their young people. They did not teach like what we're talking about, setting in how important it is for uh, a, a pastor uh, and, and some people with vision and people with call and, and purpose for the youth to get within them strong foundations. That was not happening. And so what happened is, is Eli, who was the priest at that time, ended up in a position that he honored his and esteemed his sons above his position and his call and his anointing to serve the people and God in the temple. 
in the very presence of the midst of God, in the, in the tent, in the Holy of Holies, in front of the ark. And he allowed his sons to come in and take that ark out and try to leverage the presence of God, the anointing of God in a war, in a battle. You know, and uh, it was wrong. It was wrong. It was, it was an absolutely horrible thing that Eli allowed that to happen. But he honored his son more than he did God. Boy, there's a tremendous lesson to learn there. We could preach all morning about that. But we're not going to. So the ark has is, is made a journey. And here we come to the place that God is able to have a vessel of honor, a vessel of uh, whose heart and mind and integrity was singular in focus. And that was on God. And that his name was David. We've heard about David. We talked a little bit about him last week. And that he was chosen and that he was anointed. And he went, after he went through a journey, after being anointed and being, uh, uh, inst- and, and being instilled as king, he decided that it was time that the presence of God be restored back among the people. And so he goes and he gets an army and they go down and they, of young people, and they go down and they bring the ark of the, of, of God back. And as they do, they're doing it incorrectly and they end up in a, in a bad situation. And one of the people that were handling the ark ends up dying, consumed by the judgment of God because they were handling the ark incorrectly, handling the presence of God incorrectly. Man, there's a lot of lessons that we learned and covered in those weeks on Wednesday night talking about the lessons of how you do not handle the anointing, how you don't, don't, uh, or how you host the presence of God and the, and the anointing of God. And so here David has, he has repented. He is at a place that, uh, you know, that he came before God. For three months, as the Ark of God stayed at Obed-Edom's house. And, uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of preachers that will take off on the how the presence of God and the anointing of God brings brings uh, joy and brings blessing to your life because it says that Obed-Edom, for the three months it was there, he prospered. And, I mean, you know, his chickens laid more eggs and his goats had more goats and all kinds of things. Everything that he had, you know, prospered. Man, there's a wonderful preaching in that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're moving on because here's the deal. We want the presence of God in a greater way than we've ever known before. Amen? Does anybody want that? Hallelujah. I know you all do. We want the presence of God. I want to see it to such a place that physically we can't function. I want to see it to such a place to where, like, as as our, my patriarchs of old had those brush arbor meetings and stuff, that literally people could see a flame of fire on top of those places where they were at. And it was a spiritual flame. But it was one that brought people that were hurting, that had the low-hanging fruit, the ones that were ripe and ready for harvest, brought them unto that place for them to be wrought into the kingdom of God. That's what we want. Hallelujah. And so we need to talk about what it takes to host the presence of God, to see the presence of God increase in our midst, his strength and his power. Because guess what? We don't want to be in a place to where the presence of God comes in here and strengthens to a place and we're not ready for it, do we? You know, because something like Uzzah could happen. Uzzah was a guy that reached out and touched the ark and ended up dead because he was mishandling the anointing. They were they, He was disobedient. And you know what? Really, it was ignorance. They didn't know. We don't want that happening. We don't want Ananias and Sapphira happening in our midst to bring it into the New Covenant in New Testament. I know a lot of people saying, boy, you're painting a bleak picture about God. No, I'm not. I want to see the presence of God increase in our midst, folks. 
And I know you all do too. The hand of God, the presence, the anointing, the burden-moving, yoke-destroying power of God. But guess what? For it to do, for it to happen, it's not his sovereign out, uh, uh, decision and outpouring. It's the, my Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. My Bible says that where two or more gathered, there he is in their midst. And so if he's there, I expect him to fully be there. So if he's not fully there, then is there something maybe we need to look at or examine? If he's not as strong and potent as we desire for him to be in our midst, then maybe is it something that we need to to figure out, you know, that we may be doing that's inhibiting that, that's keeping a, a dam, if you will, on the river. Did you know that God called and, and ordained within every single one of you all rivers of living water to come forth? He didn't ask for you to put up a dam and become a reservoir. That's what reservoirs are. They are damned rivers. And they hold back the current. They hold back the flow. And what can happen is when you hold waters back is that they can become stagnant. They cannot move and they cannot exert the fresh, you know, perspective and the fresh grace and the fresh uh, anointing that comes as the waters flow past. That's what's inside of us. Jesus said that water that you drink will become within you rivers of living water. Hallelujah. And that's what we want to see in our midst. So we talked about how David goes down. The, and he, he spends three months with his nose in the stone. He asked God, what is it I should do? He seeks the counsel of elders. He gets the elders involved with the young people. They go down this time with the counsel of elders with them, guiding their steps and helping giving them counsel and wise uh, um, words with respect to what they're doing. They go down. They get the ark this time. They don't bring it back on boards and big wheels like they did the first time. Boards and big wheels. You know, men are big wheels. A lot of men think they're big wheels and big shots. Got a lot of boards, you know, multiplicit people that are involved in controlling and manipulating the things of God on behalf of a vision they have for a kingdom here and not that of God's. Not talking about our board or our people, our men. But there is that happening in the church today. We don't manipulate and move the presence of God except the way that he's ordained it, right? Except what he's asked for. Except what he's outlined. And it's in accordance with his vision and not ours. So we need to get, we need to get the vision of God in this. And that's what David did. And so he, he gets the right people that are anointed, that are gifted to go and get the ark this time. Gets the elders involved, wise counsel, oversight, input. And so he gets people and according to the, how they're gifted and according to how they're anointed. Some of them are singers. Some of them are musicians. Some of them have a guardian mentality, and he gets them instilled in the right places, and he turns people, he delegates authority to the people that are gifted in those areas. And this time the thing is, is that rather than the way the old Mosaic Tabernacle was, which was a big old tent with several compartments in it, now the the presence of God was open. It was an open format. You know, and, and to me it's a prophetic symbolism of the way things need to be and are in the New Testament church. You know, the presence of God is no longer hidden behind a veil. Hallelujah. No longer is it just one person that can go once a year. It's anyone who will come. Amen? Anyone who will. 
Praise the Lord. And so it was an open format temple. And then the third thing is, is that worship, not religious practice, not the sacrifice of animals, not the ceremonial cleansings, not all the things that they had told that God had outlined to Moses in terms of the law and how the priesthood was supposed to serve before his presence pertained anymore. It was one aspect, one thing, one sacrifice, one manner of consistent action that surrounded and enveloped and created the context now for the presence of God to be hosted, and it was worship. It was continual worship and praise and offering of the living sacrifice. Hallelujah. Ourselves, those people, The sacrifice was that of worship, not animals. And the fourth thing, the people ministered before the presence of the Lord continually. It wasn't an episodic thing. It was something that happened 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year. David had people that were anointed, that were gifted in those positions of leadership, people that were anointed and gifted as singers, people that were anointed and gifted as musicians, people anointed and gifted as guardians, and servants to promote, to protect, to secure that atmosphere of the presence of God around the ark, around the new tabernacle concept. And so what happened is, is that just picture now the ark of the covenant of God. And many people know their understanding of the ark of the covenant have to do with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, you know, to a degree, I think there's a little bit of a, a symbolism that may be correct there because there is all-consuming fire in the presence of God. Now, don't get me wrong now. I'm not saying the fire of God's going to come out and consume people physically. But God, it says in the Word that God is a consuming fire. Everybody's looking at me strange like, what Word of God are you talking about? Has anybody ever heard that scripture? Yes, Hallelujah. Because the thing is, is that the Spirit of God, His desire as we submit ourselves to Him in accordance with Romans 12, 1 and 2, a living sacrifice consumes the things that need to be burned up and moved out of the way so the purity and sanctification of what He's called in your life can come forth. And it only comes forth by fire, the fire of the Spirit. What was it that John said? I got to get out of the way because there's one who coming after me that'll baptize what? In, in, in what? In spirit and with fire. Anyone ever heard that scripture? Yeah, hallelujah. Fire is a part of that. I think a lot of us are really into the spirit aspect and we forget all about the fire. I don't know about you, but you know, it talks about fiery trials. I don't like fiery trials. I don't like things to come and test and prove me, but like it says in the New Testament about the the uh, faith that's more, our faith is more precious than gold is tested by that fire. You know, God allows that, and it's not that He's up there in a sovereign manner going, "Well, it's time for them to go through this or it's time for them to go through that." No, it's as we are moving towards Him and we are desiring Him more than the things we've known before. And we begin to engage and understand and receive revelation and we begin to walk in obedience to him. That opposition comes to that. The devil doesn't want us to grow, folks. He doesn't want us to get close to God. He would just love it if you'd stay right where you are and not make any further steps. Not make, not grow any further. 
So what would happen is, is the people would come before the presence of God, represented by that ark. And the anointing would come upon them, and they would begin to sing under that inspiration of the anointing. And they would sing inspired songs. And I was telling you all last week that these inspired songs are, are, are the collection of which are the psalms that we know of today. It became the hymnal, if you will, of, of God's people, the psalms. So when you look at that book, you need to look at it as a hymnal. That's what it is. That's what this book of Psalms is. It's a book of songs. They're meant to be sung. And in fact, one of the things that David did and the leaders, the Levitical priesthood leaders at that time, they got people to actually sit and record what was being spoken under the inspiration of the Spirit of God as the anointing would come upon them, as they would approach the presence of God there. And they would record that. And that's where we get the Psalms. That's where we get many of the Psalms that we have now. So you'd walk in, the ark is there. You couldn't touch it or handle it in the physical, but you would approach and you'd begin singing in the presence of the Lord because it would just come upon you. This strength and the presence of His might being, uh, being, uh, handled in an orderly fashion in what, the way God had ordained it. And the people ministering before Him in the way God had ordained, not how men had ordained, but how God had ordained. And the presence of God would come upon them and they begin singing. And just picture this, the context of that singing took place with people that have instruments, cymbals and lyres and trumpets and all of it being orchestrated by a heavenly unction through people like Kenaniah who were skillful in their ability for musicianship, who would orchestrate and have people exactly where they're supposed to be and the voicings of those instruments come forth as the anointing would then come upon them to provide the musical context, the tonal context for this inspired utterance to come forth. And so that would happen and the people would begin to write down what was what was being sung under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And so now I'm going to deliver a concept. I got this from somebody, a minister, Perry Stone, and I about hit my knees when I heard this. It was a tremendous, tremendous revelation. I've never heard this before. But he said that a lot of the Hebrew scholars talk about the about the shadow of the Almighty. And how, if you'll picture now an open format of the tabernacle of David... Unlike the Mosaic Tabernacle, which was all covered up and you, only one person could go once a time a year before the presence of God to minister before the ark. Now we have an open format for all to see, for any who will to come. And the people are moving and, and doing what they're supposed to do in the order that he had called forth. They're ministering in the gifts and the anointing that God's put on their life. Amen. Not in a place that they're not supposed to be. They're where they're supposed to be based on the gifts and calling God's put on them. And, and crafted for them to, to bring, okay, a supply for them to bring. And just picture that, you know, in the morning now, an open format, the tabernacle is there, and the sun would rise, and the sun would, ca- would come into that tabernacle, depending upon, you know, where the sun is at for the time of year. And just picture as the sun would come and it would shine upon the elements of what's going on in that tabernacle. And you've got that, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat of God, which was two cherubs. And there are these big angels with wings that would come out and touch each other. And then in the middle of that was called the mercy seat. And that was the place that I can show you a scripture that said that God dwelt there. His physical manifest presence would come upon and dwell in that one place right there in the mercy seat. 
right above the tabernacle, or right above the ark, between the wings of the cherubim, right there. And you could just picture it, the sun would come in and would shine upon that mercy seat, that it would cast a shadow on the ground. And see, the thing is, is that David's heart was anointed and gifted to bring forth what he did in the concept of worship as the sacrifice and not that of flesh and blood. And we've got all this worship and things going on, you know, because the, what does the word say? I will dwell in what? The praises of my people. And that's where God was dwelling and his presence was there. And his presence was seated on that mercy seat, physical presence that you did not touch physically, that you only approached a certain way, but you never physically touched that presence. But David's heart was such from a worshiper's perspective. His heart was such for God and the things that he had put inside of him because he, the one thing that he desired, the one thing that he sought was to be a pillar in the presence of the living God forever. That's what he said. That's his words, not mine. He said, God, this one thing I want, this one thing I seek, that I would be a pillar in your presence. And a pillar is an inanimate, unmovable object, something that stays there constantly. That was David's desire. And so you can see the leadership's desire and how important it is in terms of hosting the presence of God. And you can see that the presence of God was strong. And as that, as that sun came in and shone upon that mercy seat, David's heart so desired to embrace fit, uh, God from every aspect of his being, both spiritually, uh, soullessly, and physically to the degree that he could. But yet he could not touch the presence of God physically because he knew. He knew he would be consumed. But yet I could tell you one thing he could do to get as close as he could to God as that sun came in and cast a shadow on the ground of that mercy seat. David would get in there among that shadow and he would bask in an, in a prophetic symbolism of that. Do you all see that? My goodness. My goodness. David could not physically touch the ark of God, but he could get into an effigy. He could get into something that represented that as close as he could get. And so now you can see when it talks about under the shadow of your wings. How many of y'all have ever heard that? We see that, we see that iterated several times in Psalms and in some other places. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I've got to tell you, man, this morning that David's desire was just a prophetic symbolism of the reality that we can walk in that is not a shadow, but the light of the living God that's inside of us. Hallelujah. And then what we become is literally the mercy seat of Christ. We become the mercy seat of God as we walk and move in this this earth, shining as stars, holding out the word of God and the word of life unto people who would come and accept. Amen? We become the living mercy seat. We become a potential for light that comes through us. And guess what? The shadow of which casts upon people as they receive and move and recognize that anointing and they receive from it and are set free. Hallelujah. That's the way it should be from a prophetic symbolism there in that story. We should be walking as the lights that would would cast forth the shadow of God's mercy wherever we go. And we could see that we actually see symbolism in terms of some of the apostles who it says as they walked, their very shadow would become a tangible place for the anointing that people would begin to be set free. Hallelujah. Is anybody listening this morning? 
Hallelujah. So the present, the uh, tabernacle of David was a place of worship. It was a place of the shadow of the almighty. And I've got to tell you this morning that it's, it did not cease with David. It's a prophetic symbol of where we are. To, we should be today. Hallelujah. We're talking about the presence of God being increased in our midst. So realize also, too, it's important that the ark never returned to its former place once it was put in the tabernacle of David. It never went back to the Mosaic tabernacle behind the, the curtain. And it signifies the transference of the old from the old covenant to the new covenant. Hallelujah, it signifies really the journey of the ark. I felt like the Holy Ghost showed me really signifies Jesus' journey through this earth because he was the incarnate presence of the living God among us. Amen. He became, uh, uh, he became captive by the enemy. He became subjected at a time to the enemy, although he said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. He laid it down and became subjected unto the idolatry of this world, unto the people of this world and the authorities and rulers. But hallelujah, he didn't stay subjected, did he? No, he did not. Hallelujah. He was restored. (laughs) Praise God. So the ark never returned. It, it, it seemed like it was a sad thing, but it was really a prophetic symbolism of where things are supposed to be from the perspective in today's church. So let's talk a little bit about restoring David's tabernacle. There's a prophecy in Amos. This is many, 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 many years later after the, tab, the, the picture that I just talked about of the David's tabernacle. Amos prophecy, Amos 9-11 says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up... His ruins, and I will build it as the days of old. What a tremendous prophecy. And if you stop and think a little bit about the context that Amos' prophecy has brought forth here, it's brought forth in the context of Solomon's temple, which at that point in time had never been, there's nothing that 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 would eclipse the greatness of the glory of God and the things that happened in Solomon's temple up to that point in time. And here Amos is talking about restoring the tabernacle of David in that context. Then that must mean that it's a prophetic symbol and a call for what's going to happen in the future. Hallelujah. And I got to tell you this morning that it's talking about our day right now. Hallelujah. And it's talking about the day that will come in the millennium when the physical presence and throne of God will be established here in, in Jerusalem that Jesus will, will be on physically. But right now, spiritually, it's talking about the new, new covenant, new testament church and the restoration of the concept of David's tabernacle. Hallelujah. Only one thing raising this tabernacle represents, uh, uh, the, the restoration, the revival of true worship. So when Amos is talking about restoring the de- tabernacle of David, he's talking about the restoration of the context of what that tabernacle was about. And it was about true worship. It was about lingering worship. It was about continual worship and the sacrifice of living things, not that of flesh and blood of animals. And guess who it is? It's us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you by the mercies of God, brethren, to present your bodies as... Amen. Somebody's read that scripture before. Living sacrifices, and I love the way Pastor Dale said years ago, and I've never forgot it, that it's a living sacrifice, so it wants to get back down off the altar. So you have to put it back up there, and it wants to crawl back down off the altar, so you have to put it back up there. That is so true, man. Praise God. 
It's a living sacrifice. God hasn't called for a sacrifice as something that's going to be uh, 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 killed in the concept outside of your agendas, your motives, your purpose, because you've got to die to yourself. That's what Jesus said. But it, but that dying is a continual thing, folks. It's dying into the soul. It's dying unto the dictates of the flesh. So that you, that sacrifice can, can continue to arise in a greater and greater and greater strength of the presence and host a greater and greater manifestation of the presence of God as you are the tabernacle of David today. Hallelujah. So this revelation and establishment came at the pinnacle of Israel's response to the Lord in a pinna- at a time of, of complete repentance. In the days when David pitched his tent, and this is where we're coming into, were days of joy. There were days of gladness. There were days of shouting. There were days of dancing and a desire for one thing under a godly leader, and that was the presence of the living God. That was the tabernacle of David. That's what it was all about. It was a place of continual worship. It was a place where access and hosting of the presence of God occurred only by one thing, and that was the living sacrifice and praise and offer of worship. Hallelujah. David was a tabernacle was a foreshadowing of what's intended today, that we carry and host the presence of the living God through continual worship and offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And I talked about those New Testament verses uh, Romans 12, 1. Listen to what Hebrews 13, 15 says. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer to God as sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of the lips that confess his name. Here we see Paul under the unction of the Holy Ghost talking about a continual sacrifice of praise. Sounds like David's tabernacle to me. I don't know about you all. Sounds pretty familiar. And listen to, you know, whereas in the old old covenant, the mercy seat represented the presence of the living God on that on that ark. And it represented uh, uh, something that one person a year could go into the high priest one time a year to offer atonement. Whereas now under the new concept, anyone that will could come as long as they came with worship and sacrifice and, and in the correct order. And in accordance with the gifts and the callings that God would put on their life. Listen to to what Hebrews 4.16 says that will bring, uh, will echo some of the truth of this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. What is it? It's the mercy seat of God. That's where that, that was that place between the cherubim's wings. The mercy seat of God. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Does anyone have a time of need right now? You know, the Bible talks about that you have an opportunity at any time to come boldly before his presence. Hallelujah. That's the tabernacle of David. That is to be restored. Stronger and stronger, stronger. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open to us through the curtain that is his body. That's talking about the Holy of Holies, the presence of the living God. Now we have confidence to enter that place. So we know that Amos' prophecy was about a lasting establishment, one that would occur under the new covenant. And we can see that James iterated this. 
In Acts chapter 15, he says, after they stopped speaking, James responded. So this is a New Testament uh, story here. This isn't an Old Testament thing. Listen to what he says just to show and highlight that what we're talking about has not been taken out of context, that I am not iterating something out of context here. Listen to what James says. After they stopped speaking, James responded, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does these things known from long ago. Man, I don't know about you, but that's talking about me. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. And now because of this, because of what James is iterating here, we all have equal access unto our Father. Hallelujah. Is that not exciting? That was Acts 15, 13 through 18. So here James iterates Amos' prophecy. It sounds, it's the prophecy that Amos brought forth, and here he's iterating it in the context of, new co- of the New Covenant and the New Testament. And he talks about both the original and the old and the new covenant, that those who were under the old covenant, those who were now coming under the new covenant, would be brought together. And what did Amos' prop, uh, prophecy talk about? It talked about healing the breaches thereof. A breach is a division into two things. A breach is something that, that, that pulls something apart, that it separates. And now, what is it under the new covenant? He is our peace who has broken down every wall. Every wall that has separated people from his presence, from his power, from relationship with him is now dissolved. It's now gone. Hallelujah. We have free and equal access no matter what relationship and what blood and what tribe and what nation you come from. Hallelujah. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. You can never forfeit the potential as long as you draw breath in your physical lungs to access that, that power, that relationship. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness, help us, oh, God. Amos' prophecy said God would raise the tabernacle again. He'd heal those breaches. So we see the Amos prophecy that the tabernacle of David is a place of continual worship, but it's also a place of complete unity. It's a place where the old and the new come together. Movement of sanctification, the right standing, righteousness, things about the kingdom of God, things that our forefathers would preach and the Lord would bring as an inspired utterance through them, folks. Those concepts are not dead. The, the the fire and the things and the spirit of God that was in them is still the same fire and the spirit of God that we minister unto now. But the the issue is is that we're moving on and we need what we we need the underpinning and undergirding of our history of our forefathers' input of the anointing and the fire that was in them to push us forward into the new thing. We don't go into the new thing in spite of them. We go into the new thing with them in David's tabernacle. It's a place of unity. Hallelujah. We need you folks, you older folks, you seasoned veterans. We need you. I've heard Pastor uh, CJ talk about this multiple times. It's a place of unity. And this is the last thing. David's tabernacle represents a prophetic and functional symbol of what he intended regarding worship. The entire study that we've talked about, 
Over those times of, or those Wednesday nights, and then a little bit that I've given you here of these past couple Sundays, is relating to how to fear, how to host, how to honor, how to handle, how to serve in the presence of the living God. The strength of his anointing among, the, among us, folks, depends on us learning from the experiences that are, that are uh, iterated there in, in the uh, precedence of the experiences up to David's tabernacle. And us being obedient to those lessons. Would you stand with me? Father, we're grateful that you loved us before we could ever exist to love you. That is indeed our first love. It's not the love that we would have for you, but it's the love that you first had for us, oh God. God, help us if we're in a place in our relationship with you that we've lost sight of that. Restore unto us, oh God, the joy of that salvation. The joy, oh God, of our first love, God. Renew it unto us. Let us not be, Father God, a people or a church that would move in spite of that and move on for that. But, oh God, let us be a a person and a church, Father God, and a people that would have a spring in our step because of the blood of Jesus that is behind us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for the precious tabernacle of David that is a prophetic picture of what you intend, of how your your presence is hosted, how you're strong and mighty among us. And that is through the people that come of contrite spirit, that come of a willing heart, a desiring heart for one thing above all things, and that's your presence, O oh God. That's your strength among us, O oh God. That's your salvation among us. That's your grace, Father, that enables us to do the things that we can't do in our own strength. Oh, Father, we just praise and honor and adore the name and majesty of Jesus Christ this morning. And if there's anyone this morning that does not know Jesus as your Savior, come now to receive him. Don't wait another second. Thank you, Holy Ghost, for speaking to hearts this morning that don't know you and for drawing them unto the salvation of our Father. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's very easy to do. Come forward right now to receive in the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God calls at all times for those that would receive him. Hallelujah. Don't wait. Don't justify. Don't make a decision to wait for another opportunity. Now is the day of salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you, oh, Father God, that this would become a message that would burn within us and become something that would promote and instigate dreams, oh, God, and visions, Father, in these people, because we want one thing, and that is your presence, God, among us, strong, 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 hallelujah, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. 